You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So, happy 4th of July weekend, by the way, to all of you. And I know there's a number of you among us who have served or are serving at some point in our armed forces. And again, thank you for your service to our country and uh, helping us really have the very freedoms that we have. But with all that being said as well, um, question for you as we start our time in God's Word. So are you happy? Okay, some of you are. That's good. What would make you happier? And don't say shorter sermons. That doesn't count, okay? But what, what would make you happier? That question was asked in a recent survey of Americans, and as you might expect, there were a number of different answers and responses, but I'll tell you two, the top two that were given. What do you think the second most common response was to the question, what will make you happier? Actually, the second most frequent answer was, I would be happier if I could be smarter. Isn't that interesting? 38% of people who took this survey said, you know what would make me happier would be if I was just a little smarter, (laughs) okay? But 48% said what you just, many of you just came up with here in the room, and that is money. 48% said if I just had a little bit more money, or maybe a lot more money, I don't know, that that would make me happier. And, you know, we we could wrestle with that a little bit. Would more money make me happier? And probably a number of us would say, I don't know, but I'd like to try. I'd be open, you know, to giving that a a test drive. And as I was reading this passage and preparing for our time today in James as we continue on in this series, this was written to a group of people who very much thought that more was better. More money, more stuff, more power, more influence. That if they could just get more and more of that, that would really make them happier. And as we've followed this arc of James's letter, he's really shifted gears recently in these last couple weeks with what we've looked at in these passages, and he's really speaking to people who are living their life without God. And that really is the apex, that really is the zenith of a prideful life, is for someone to live without God. And this is written to some folks in particular who, with how they regard their possessions, their money, even other people, they're leaving complete, living completely without any thought to God. And this is one of those passages that when you read it, it's, or at least when I do, it's easy for me to pass on by it because it really doesn't feel that applicable. And yet the more I've studied this passage, the more I've read it, the more I've realized this is enormously practical and applicable to me and to you. So this is our passage. It's James chapter 5. It's only six verses, but boy, is it loaded. And this is how it starts out. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. 
The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Aren't you glad you came to church today or you're listening in to hear that? And then to have the pastor say, oh, yeah, that applies to you and me. Really? That's okay. Well, let me make you a sale with that, by the way. So this is talking about, right out of the gate, it's talking about rich people. And we saw this kind of a opening to this part of what James was writing about last week. And again, it can sometimes get lost or diluted a little bit in translation. But when he says, now listen, this is like taking someone by the shoulders and shaking them. Listen, you got to get this. You have to understand this. This is still very passionate, very direct. And he's speaking to these rich people. So are there any rich people in the room? Well, who are the rich people that he's talking about here? Well, I think for many of us, probably for most of us, our, our minds go to the 1%. So, okay, Jeff Bezos, you better listen to this. Elon Musk, you better be tuning into this. You better be listening to this on a podcast later this week. Bill Gates, this is right up your alley. We can think of many of our athletes, many of our celebrities Many of our politicians, in fact, just for fun, I did a little research on this. Every single president since Harry Truman is a millionaire or a multimillionaire, including our current one. So there's lots of people who we could reasonably say, that is the 1%. That's who this is being written to. They better be listening, right? But is that the 1% that this is really targeting and really speaking to? Well, took that for a test drive too. The average median income for Gresham is 58250 So if you make an annual income of about $58,000, you're, you're in the middle. You're, you're in the median. The average median worldwide income is $9,700. Now let that sink in for a minute. $9,700. Now here comes the punchline. If you make more than $34,000 in annual income, you are in the richest 1% of the world. So once again, any rich people here today? Any rich people listening, watching online? This is talking to me. And this is talking to, to many of us. And we could reasonably say, okay, but what are the metrics? What are the measures by which that was calculated? And there's certainly variables that affect that and affect those, affect those numbers for sure. But this applies to you and me, what he's about to say here. Because reasonably so, even if you're not in the 1% based on that number, you're more than likely in the richest 10% of those who are in the world with what we have. And some of you, again, might reasonably say, oh, wait, Pastor Jay, you do not know my finances. Do you know the school debt I have? Do you know the credit card debt I have? Do you know that there is no extra every month? In fact, it feels like I'm falling further and further behind. And, you know, we could, we could talk through these things, but again, what is our standard of wealth or what's the standard of measure here? Well, this is actually where this becomes even more applicable to you and me. Look at the standard that he's talking about here. Moths have eaten your clothes. 
Your gold and silver are corroded. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Okay, well, let's, let's do business with that. So metrics or measures of wealth in the ancient Near East were clothes, food, certainly money, but believe it or not, that was usually wrapped up in land, the number of workers you owned, the livestock you had. Those were all common measures or metrics of wealth, and he's going to clothes. And these folks are so wealthy, they have more than one pair of clothes. That's the measure of wealth here that he's talking about. Most people only had one pair of clothes. That's why there's an Old Testament law about returning clothing that you borrowed from someone, returning someone's cloak, because that's probably all they had, which is just so hard for us to get our minds around, but let's, let's go there. So do you have more than one pair of clothes? I do. In fact, what I like to have are t-shirts. I'm kind of a t-shirt guy, really. This is a, a t-shirt that I got when I was in Israel in 2016. It says, for those of you who can't read it or see it, it says, I climbed Masada. And I did. I climbed up Masada. And when I get to do something like that, I, I like to get a t-shirt to kind of commemorate it and remember it. So I have that t-shirt. And then, of course, I have this t-shirt. This is a must. This is one of my many U of O shirts where we won the day which is usually what happens, and that's, you know. So got to have this shirt, got to represent, got to be a, a Duck fan. But if I'm a Duck fan, then I also am obligated to have a shirt like this. This is um, the other Oregon school, the other Oregon State school, Oregon State. And I have this shirt because I service all my cars myself, change all the fluids, all the oil. I always need a good oil rag. So, you know, <laughs> oh, wow, wow. There is a beaver fan here this morning. That's really encouraging. So I have to have my oil rag. But also, though, you know, my Dodgers, who are the, my favorite NL team, they, they won the World Series in, um, a couple years ago. And, you know, they'll win again. So I'll just hold on to the shirt for when they win again. So I have a shirt to commemorate that. My friends, when I was looking through just the number of T-shirts I have not too long ago, I counted over 30. Now, don't sound too shocked. Come on. <laughs> Whose side are you on? I have 30 T-shirts. Okay, that's not to mention, you know, these wonderful plaid shirts that you see me wearing or, you know, the pants I have or a couple suits I have or the sweaters I have or the long sleeve shirts I have. By this metric, I'm not just rich. I'm I'm filthy rich. I really am. And these folks are so rich, they have more than one pair of clothes. And the clothes are, are in storage so long that moths are able to eat them. I mean, they just, they have so much that things are just hanging there. And if you, I don't know that moths have teeth, so how long does it take a moth to eat through fabric? I mean, it's, they have more than they need. They have excess, lots of excess. And again, gold and silver technically can't rust, they can't corrode, but there were impurities that were mixed in with much of the gold and silver of that day. So again, indicative of it not being used and just laying around, it's rusting. And it's not just that they have wealth, they're hoarding it. They're holding on to it. They're, they're keeping it for themselves. Now, let's do business with a couple things here. Is it wrong to be rich? Because that seems to be what this is saying. And the biblical answer is no. 
No, it's actually not wrong to be rich. In fact, Scripture never in and of itself condemns wealth or being rich. What it does speak to is how you acquire that and what you do with it. Scripture has a lot to say about that. Because if you think about if rich people were condemned, then Abraham certainly would have been condemned. He was incredibly rich. Isaac, Jacob, Job, who lost his riches, and then they were restored to him graciously by, by God. There are many men and women in the New Testament who were wealthy by the standards of that day, by the standards we're talking about. So, no, being rich in and of itself isn't wrong, but we have to remember that riches and wealth and stuff can be profoundly dangerous because it then begins to beg some very difficult questions of us that we'll do business with in a little bit. But the reality is the attitude of these people, the attitude of the people who James was writing to was they were living their lives without God in each and every way. And they did not realize that everything they had was, was a gift, that all we have is given to us by, by God. We're stewards. We, we, we manage it. We shepherd it. But technically, it's not ours. These aren't my t-shirts. The stuff you have, the money you have, and me likewise, if we know and love God, we understand the reality that it's not really ours. We're to manage it and steward it and, and shepherd it. So do you believe that? Whose, whose money is it? Whose stuff is it? Because when we press on this a little bit, I think sometimes we struggle with this. Sometimes I struggle with this, honestly, in my attitude. Well, why do I have the stuff that I have? Why? Whose is it, really? Well, I did work for it. Worked hard for it, actually. Like you, I work hard for the things I have. I've, I've earned them. I've applied myself. And therefore, I... I kind of, I, I deserve it. And, and on some level, that may be true. But my thinking on this was really, really challenged some years ago when I had the opportunity to go to Bolivia, which is the poorest country in Latin America, and to see how an entire country of people live and to see their gratitude and to see... Um, their thankfulness, especially in the hearts of the Jesus followers there. And they, by our standards, have nothing. And it necessarily wrecked me in a number of ways. And I can honestly tell you, it changed me. I don't look at my stuff and what I have the same way after going to that country. So what would have happened? What would my life be like? What would my attitude be if I had been born a Bolivian? instead of an American. You ever done business with that? There's this entitlement. There's this attitude of, man, I'm owed this. I earned this. I worked for this. Okay, yeah, to some degree, but doesn't everything I have ultimately come from God? And so what if I would have been born in Bolivia? I would have had a very different standard of living, living most likely, wouldn't have all that I have. Would that mean that God loved me any less or I was any less blessed? And, and no, it wouldn't. I like how Matt Chandler says it. 
when he gives this perspective. You don't have anything that wasn't given to you. You don't and I don't. Again, the stuff we have, the money we have, the wealth we have, whatever we have, has been given to us by God, and that should matter. That should impact how we use it. But that doesn't make a difference for these folks. They're actually exploiting the very people who work for them. And this is interesting. I, I, I didn't realize this until I did a little bit deeper study, but it says that the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And again, you had, these were day laborers. They worked the fields. You know, back then you didn't have Kubotas and John Deere's. You had oxen and people. And that's how you worked the fields. Was you had people do that for you, or you did it yourself. And for those that had enough wealth to have others do it for themselves, it says that the Lord Almighty is listening to the cries of oppression, to the cries of injustice as they deny the wages to the workers. And this, this word for Lord Almighty, this name for God, is actually the Lord of hosts. It's only used here and in another part of the New Testament. And it has this idea of God is marshalling his armies to now come and pronounce judgment on these rich people who have exploited those around them and taken advantage of them, and wronged them. And if that's not enough, it says you've fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. And this is, I think, a very necessary double meaning. It means that they've gotten fat from overindulgence and overeating, and they've gotten fat by their greed and selfishness. Because of their willingness to step on other people and take advantage of other people in order to get and acquire and keep the wealth that they have. This is a, a sin issue here. This is a selfishness issue. It's a justice issue. And there's going to be a judgment as a result. It says they have condemned and murdered the innocent one. And again, some of this is in, in Jewish thinking, if you deprive someone of their support, that was tantamount to murdering them. And so literally, people are starving because these rich landowners and employers aren't paying them what they've earned. They're withholding their money because they're greedy. It's a really, really dark picture but I think there's some significant application for you and for me. This is one of the realities. A greedy heart is never satisfied, and that is illustrated by this passage, and very powerfully so. You know, John Paul Getty, who was um, one of the billionaire tycoons earlier last century, he was the guy who founded um, Standard Oil, which we now know as Chevron. When you see Chevron, that's his legacy, is, is that oil company. He was asked, and he famously replied, how much money is enough money? And he said, just a little bit more. And it's true. You see, in this affluent culture that we live in, you and I have to manage this slippery slope that's very easy to start sliding down, where we confuse wants and needs, and all of a sudden they both become necessities. And we're immersed and seeped in this culture of materialism and money and stuff. And all of a sudden, things that are wants constantly get elevated to becoming needs. And as we get more money and get more resources, we up our lifestyle and our consumption goes up. And we never question it. In fact, we call it success. And so when the iPhone 40 comes out, you better go get it. You don't have an iPhone 40? What's, what's wrong with you? Because what you have isn't good enough. 
When we looked at this reality last week, we are bombarded in this culture constantly, this culture of materialism that what you have isn't good enough. And, you know, that spills over into our relationships. It's not just our stuff. We buy into that all the time. Well, that's better, so I better go get it. That's going to fulfill me more, so I better have it. But that's the message that we're constantly doing battle with. And when everything, when everything becomes a need, it starts us down that road to greed. And if we can just be honest, because we are, this makes me really uncomfortable. I don't like talking about this with you, and I certainly don't like thinking about how it applies to my life. And I think some of that is, unfortunately, sometimes things can get a little weird when we talk about money and wealth and possessions in the church. It absolutely shouldn't be that way because we talk about everything. We talk about life because we do life together. So there's some of that in here. But I wonder if some of my discomfort and maybe fairly some of yours isn't just the topic but the hard questions this immediately asks of us if we're really doing business with this and what James is talking about here. Where is that line in your life and mine between want and need? And how often do we critically think about that? Or when it comes to our money and our stuff, what will we do to get it? What will we do to keep it? How do we respond when it's taken away? This, this attitude of entitlement, this attitude of wanting continually more and buying into the false narrative and really the outright lie that if we just had a little more, then we would absolutely be happier. And that's what we need. It's invisible, it's insidious, and it seeps into our hearts and it poisons our hearts. And so this is one of the reasons why the series after this is we're deliberately going to steer into generosity and what that looks like in our lives. And some of you hear that and think, money, and that shows that you don't necessarily understand what generosity is about. Generosity is more than just being generous with relationships. It's being generous with time. It's being generous, yes, with resources and with money, but of the six sermons we're going to look at and preach together and, and absorb together, one will be about money. All the rest will be about other parts of our life because generosity should be a distinctive of Jesus' followers. We should live very generously in this culture around us. And part of what necessarily leads us down that road of generosity is gratefulness. We're so seeped in this culture that makes us focus on what we don't have. What is it that we do have? Because here it comes, based on what James is talking about here, me and you, we have much more than we need. Most of us have much more than we actually need or will ever use. So that also begs a necessary question. Okay, we know and love and believe in the God of the universe, and we, we get, we, we, we believe that everything we have comes from him, and, and he gives us stuff. So why does he give us more than we need? Is it because he doesn't ever want us to worry about having anything ever again? Or is it because he wants us to have complete trust in our bank accounts? Okay, that can't be right. Could it be that he doesn't want us so dependent on him? He wants us to be more independent of him? 
Well, no, because this is the same God who in the Lord's Prayer encourages us, reminds us to be thankful for our daily bread. We're so dependent on him that we're dependent on him for just our basic daily needs. Okay, so that's not why. Well, maybe it's because he wants us to leave a big sum of money to our kids and grandkids. That always works out well, right? Or maybe it's because he wants us to retire by age 50. And I missed it. I'm 53. I missed that boat. How did that sail by me without me seeing that and getting that? Okay, I'm, I'm exaggerating to make a point, right? Yes, you can retire from your job, your career, your vocation, but you never retire from your purpose. And our purpose, as we were reminded of last week, is to glorify God, to know Him, to love Him, and to help others do the same. That's a very basic definition. There's a whole lot more that comes with that, but the purpose of my life and yours is to know God and enjoy Him forever and to help others do the same. Don't ever retire from that. So could there be larger reasons then than just benefiting ourselves? Does God bless us? Does God give us excess just so that we can have more? And the answer is no. Yes, he blesses us to bless us, to be sure. He's a God who wants to bless, but when he gives us more, he wants us to use it to bless others. And this is far more intuitive than you and I realize. Andy Stanley Stanley tells this story of um, two little boys who were getting ready to sit down and eat their lunch. And if you like this illustration, it's Andy Stanley who gets credit. If you don't, that's on me. So he's talking about these two stories, Johnny and um, Billy, and they sit down to eat lunch together. And so they, they begin to pull out of their lunch bags what's in there. And so, you know, Billy pulls out a juice box and And so does Johnny, and they look at it and put it down, and then Billy pulls out a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You can never go wrong with PB&J, right? I mean, that's that's worthy. And and sure enough, Johnny pulls a PB&J out of his out of his sack lunch and puts it down, and and then they both pull out this bag of carrots and they drop that over there. Probably not going to do much business with that. And then Billy reaches into his bag and there's nothing left. And Johnny reaches into his bag and pulls out. Four chocolate chip cookies, homemade. Now you're watching this from afar. What is it you want Johnny to do with those cookies? Painstakingly morsel by morsel, eat every single one of them in front of Billy and to make sure Billy sees it because Johnny should leverage the advantage that he has. Too bad, Billy, your parents didn't plan very well for you. Or if Billy packed his own lunch, sucks to be you, Billy. You forgot the cookies, right? Is that really how any one of us would look at that? Wouldn't we want and wouldn't we be stirred by a picture of Johnny taking two of those cookies and sharing them with Billy? He's a socialist. No, come on. No. He's sharing, right? And again, exaggerating to make a point here, but wouldn't we want to see that? If, if Billy was your kid, if Johnny was your kid, would you not want to see that happen? This is, this is more intuitive than we realize. We get this more than we realize. 
And if you're a Jesus follower, if you've chosen to receive Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, as I have and as so many of you have, then he begins to change you from the inside out. He, he begins to call forth the image that you were always intended to be. There's good in all of us, but he begins to call forth and develop and deepen the good that comes from walking in right relationship with him and right relationship with other people. And so even the most selfish person at times can share, but as Jesus followers, we're hardwired to share. We're primed to share. We intuitively get this because God is a God who shares. God is a God who is generous. God is a God who gives. And as we say so often, and it's so very true, living the gospel is a response to the gospel. Why should you share with someone your excess? Because God has given to you. Why should you look for opportunities to bless other people? Because God has already blessed you. Why do you love other people? Because God loves you. Living out our relationship with God is always a response to what God has done for us. That's why we can be forgiving, because we've been forgiven. That's why we can give the benefit of the doubt, because God over and over again gives us the benefit of the doubt. That's why we can be patient, because God is immeasurably patient with us, and so it goes. The reality is, we're all poor. We're all spiritually impoverished without a right relationship with God. And so in our brokenness, we turn to stuff and we turn to money and we turn to more and more and more or just a little bit more and look to that for something it will never give us. Only through knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the God who impoverished himself so that we would become rich through his death, burial, and resurrection will you find true fulfillment and satisfaction. He rescues us from a life of greediness and brokenness because ironically, if life is all about stuff and all about what you can get and all about what you have and then getting more of it, you will never be satisfied. There's a satisfaction that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ and then looking at your excess and looking at how you can bless others with it. I used to have 30 t-shirts. I don't anymore. I've given many of them away so they can be used by others. And that's fulfilling. And that's satisfying. This is not the measure of my satisfaction and happiness. But boy, does this necessarily cause us to do business with some significant questions. How much is enough? How much is excess? And again, just so we're on the same page, this isn't about saving. Scripture has tons to say about savings. Of course we should save. This is about having more than we need and passing on the opportunity to be a blessing to others when we can. So I'm going to invite our communion servers to come forward. And we're going to prepare these elements for you. And we're going to ask that you come forward to receive these. And for those of you who are watching and listening online, this is a good time for you to get the elements if you haven't already so that you can celebrate and participate in communion with us.
But as you come forward to receive these elements, would you use this as an occasion to remember how God has been generous to you? What has he done for you? How has he given to you? And then, would you do business with one more question? And this is the question I've necessarily been wrestling with this week as well. How can you be a blessing to others? Look at the money you have. The stuff you have. (laughs) The t-shirts you have. And how can you bless someone else with the extra that you have? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that everything we have comes from you and for many of us in the room and who are listening to this, we know we have far more than we need. So instead of keeping that for ourselves, would we be deliberate and intentional about looking for ways to bless others with it? And our example is you. You are the God who is so profoundly generous to us. And we need to remember that. Please protect us from having hearts of greed, hearts that are never satisfied, that have bought into the lie that if we just had a little more, that would be what we need. Lord, we we need you. And so would you do your good work in our hearts and remind us all over again of what you have done for each one of us through your death, burial, and resurrection. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.